At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Dead America, Heartland, Part 4. Dead America, The Second Week, Book 11. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter 1. Day 0 plus 13. Private Kowalski held on to the handle above his passenger window, but it did little to keep him from bouncing around the sedan as they bumped along the dirt path in the woods. Great choice of vehicle, Corporal, he said dryly. This is one of the smoothest rides I've ever encountered. Corporal Bretz let out a little grunt of disapproval, just as the car hit a particularly deep divot, the shock struggling not to disintegrate. Private Mason went flying out of his seat in the back, throwing his hands up against the roof to avoid getting a concussion. Kowalski glanced over his shoulder, an amused grin on his face. Great family car, too, keeps the kids entertained, like a roller coaster without any of the safety features. Brett simply shook his head and focused on the drive. They'd commandeered the sedan a half hour ago, taking the long way around the town so they wouldn't be detected. Though the ride was uncomfortable, it was less uncomfortable than being eaten or shot at, so it was working. Soon enough, the trees began to thin and the path opened up, revealing a large lake. Lake Coeur d'Alene was a popular tourist destination once upon a time, but more importantly, it was a feeder to the Spokane River, which not only ran directly through the heart of the city, but alongside the interstate leading up to it. Thank fuck, Kowalski breathed as the car came to a stop a few hundred yards away from the waterfront. Remind me never to let you pick a car out for me. He dove out of the car and stretched his arms and legs. Hey, it was either this or the smart car. Brett's replied as he shut the driver's side door. The private shook his head. I don't know, I've heard those things are built pretty well. Yeah, but we would have had to strap Mason to the roof, the corporal said, motioning to their third companion as he got out of the back seat. Kowalski grinned. Eh, fresh air does the body good. Mason raised his hand, grimacing as he stretched his back. I'll take a roll down window, thanks. After getting the bumpy discomfort from their bodies, the three men walked along the tree line a bit, looking down at the docks. Kowalski pulled his sniper rifle from his back and peered through the scope to sweep the area. The first few docks appeared to be empty, but the third one had a padlocked door on the front of an enclosed shed. Looks like we got a potential here, he said. Bretz leaned forward. What do you see? Enclosed private dock with a door padlocked from the outside he replied. If there was ever a boat in there, I'd say it's probably still in there. The corporal nodded. Any movement? Half a dozen locals, about 20 or 30 yards from the dock, Kowalski said as he swept the area. He waited for instructions, pausing, and then lowered his rifle and turned to his superior. 
You want me to take them out or what? Brett shook his head. No, we can handle half a dozen without guns. I thought we were far enough away from Hayden that we didn't have to worry about noise, Mason asked. The corporal motioned to the trees behind them. There are 30 to 40,000 zombies within a couple miles of us. Do you really want to risk it to avoid a little hard work? Don't get me wrong, I want to win back my daily kill record from Bill, Kowalski added. But I don't think I'm carrying near enough ammo to do that at the moment. Mason nodded, putting his hands up in surrender. All right, boys, let's go find us a boat, Brett said, and led the way towards the water. What do you think, Corporal? Kowalski asked as he slung his gun back over his shoulder. How big of a shit show is this going to be? 30 to 40,000 zombies with whatever scraps they send us? Brett shrugged. Shouldn't be too bad in comparison. Mason raised an eyebrow. In comparison to what? The 200,000 zombies in Spokane, Kowalski said. Mason's shoulders sagged. How the hell are we supposed to take on 200,000 zombies, he moaned. Well, if I know the captain, he's got something up his sleeve, Bratz replied firmly. As they came down the path, they kept a close eye on their surroundings so that they wouldn't be surprised by any extra hiding zombies. The tall grass by the waterfront was thick, easy enough to hide in, and they were careful to assess it as they moved. As they reached the padlocked shed, the zombies up the way finally took notice of them. The closest one looked like he used to be a middle-aged man, looking like he walked out of a post-apocalyptic fishing magazine. He moaned loudly and staggered towards them, the myriad of lures hanging from his tattered vest clinking together as he moved. His noises were like a dinner bell to his five buddies, and they joined him towards the feast. Mason, how's your lock picking? Bratz asked, as casual as if they were discussing the weather. The private wrinkled his nose. Still pretty weak, if I'm being honest. Well, why don't you get some practice in while Kowalski and I handle this? Bratz asked. Mason smiled and saluted him. Yes, sir. He took a knee by the door and pulled out a few pins from his pocket. It wasn't a normal standard item for an American soldier to carry, but in recent days, Captain Kersey had made sure that every one of his guys had them. Lockpicking had become an invaluable skill to have, especially if they were going to be clearing major towns and cities. Getting into places silently and efficiently was key. This is because I critiqued your car selection, isn't it? Kowalski sighed as he drew a blade. Brett simply smiled and winked at him as he pulled his machete from its sheath on his leg. They walked towards the zombie brigade, loose and chill as if they were more of a nuisance than an actual threat. The corporal reached the fisherman first and lopped off the top portion of his head with a single horizontal swipe. Goddamn, corporal, you got that thing sharp enough? Kowalski's eyes widened as he slashed down at a teenage zombie cracking its skull open like a coconut. Yeah, I found one of those as-seen-on-TV knife sharpeners hidden in the back of the kitchen. <laughs> Looks like it works, Bretz replied. Understatement, Kowalski said, and yanked his blade from the dead head, lunging to the side to knock over two more zombies that were getting too close for comfort. You're gonna need to share when we get back. Bretz joined him, and they dispatched the two fallen zombies in sync. It's a lot easier to do this when there's only a couple of them, he noted. Yeah, we're gonna need a wrecking ball for some of the hordes that are waiting for us. The private agreed and spun around to stab another corpse through the chin. 
Brett's dropped the last one with his insanely sharp blade and waited for a moment, straining his ears to see if there were any more coming. I think we're good, he said. Let's go see how Mason is doing. They strolled back over to their companion, who seemed to still be struggling with the lock. Of all the people I know, I really thought you'd be good at this, Kowalski said. Why? Mason shot him a playful glare. Because I'm black? Well, yeah, his friend replied with an equally playful grin. They shared a chuckle as he finally popped the lock. Nicely done, Bretz replied. Mason pulled the chain out and held onto the handle, making sure everyone was ready before counting down and flinging the door open. They stood back for a moment to make sure that nothing was about to jump out at them. Nothing happened. Kowalski, move up, Brett said quietly. The private stepped forward, blade at the ready, doing a quick sweep of the building. It was about the size of a two-car garage. I think we're in business, Corporal, he said. And as the others walked in, he headed over to the metal gate and lifted it. As light poured inside, it reflected off of two shiny party boats. They were flat all the way across, with little roofs across the center consoles. Kowalski hopped aboard one and clambered up onto the roof, hopping up and down a few times to make sure that it was structurally sound. How we looking? Bretz asked. The private grinned, showing all of his teeth. This is gonna do just fine. Mason hopped onto the other one and checked the gauges. Fuel is good on this one, he said. Check the other one, the corporal instructed. If we're good there too, I'll ask Cap to send us a few more men. He pulled out his communicator and held it to his lips. Hey, Cap, you read me? There was a moment of static before Captain Kersey replied. Got you, Corporal. How are things looking down there? Bit of a bumpy ride to get here, Bretz replied, but little resistance. Find you a ride? Kersey asked. At Mason's thumbs up from the second boat, the Corporal smiled. Two, actually. You think you can spare a few other guys once the train gets here? Yeah, the train should be pulling in any time now, the captain said. I'll get a fire team sent your way once they get here. Tell them snipers, Kowalski called. We'll just pick them off from the roof here. A resident gun nut is requesting you send us snipers, Brett said. He seems to think we can just pick them off from the top of the party barges. Kersey chuckled. Question is, Corporal, what do you think? I think I don't want to listen to him whine all the way to Spokane, the corporal said dryly. The captain barked a laugh. Snipers it is then. Much appreciated, Bretz replied. When they get there, I want you boys to hit the water immediately and start getting some sound out, Kersey instructed. I'll let you know when it's time to head up river to the next objective. Yes, sir, the corporal said. We'll be ready to go when they get there. Gonna be a hell of a day, the captain said. Good luck. Bretz nodded. Same to you, Cap. He put the radio away and turned to his boat-happy team. All right, we got a little time before we cast off. Let's see if we can find anything useful in any of these other docks. Chapter Two Here you go, Captain, fresh and hot, Bill said, crossing the main lobby area of the lodge to the coffee table. He handed Kersey a steaming mug and took a seat next to Private Johnson and Private Baker. Appreciate it, Kersey said, and took a long sip, savoring the dark brew. Any word on the train? He asked, leaning back in his chair. 
Just talked to the engineer a few minutes ago, Bill replied. They're slowing up, so should be here by the time we get outside. Johnson took a gulp of coffee, smacking his lips afterward. Any idea what the general is sending us? Whatever he sent, I'm positive it's not going to be enough to do this job easily, Kersey admitted. Baker sighed dramatically. So basically just another day in the military. Pretty much, Private, the captain nodded. Pretty much. He stood up, and the quartet headed outside onto the balcony. Brakes squealed as the train rumbled in, slowing right down to a crawl. The engineer was precise, stopping it right at the front door to the lodge, ten boxcars trailing behind it. The soldiers headed down the stairs and approached the train, Kersey taking a thoughtful sip of his brew, as a few people jumped down from the engine car to unlatch doors and let the men out. We're going to have another train rolling in tonight, he said, addressing Bill. Once we get unloaded here, would you kindly relieve the engineer? We're gonna need to hitch a ride to the incursion point, and I prefer you leading the way. The engineer nodded. I'll take care of it, he said, and wandered off towards the engine car. A middle-aged and slightly pudgy man scrambled down from the train and headed towards the lodge soldiers, chest puffed like a peacock. Which one of you is Kersey? he asked, displeasure evident in his curt tone. Kersey lifted his chin. I'm Captain Kersey, and you are? Sergeant Stanley Gilbert, he replied, smug as a man four points higher on the hotness scale. Currently in charge of this here group of men. Kersey crossed his arms. Well, break it down for me, Sergeant. What did you bring me? Well, Captain, Gilbert said, the word looking sour on his tongue. I have 750 men to go along with enough ammo to take out half of Washington State. No armor? Kersey asked. Air support? Gilbert shook his head. No, sir. From what I've been told, there is supposed to be some APCs on the next train, as well as an Apache Guardian gunship, and a thousand men, too. The captain sighed in disbelief. Okay, I need you to assemble your team leaders and get them to the lodge over there for a briefing in 10. Before that, though, I'm going to need your four best sharpshooters. Why, Gilbert demanded. You have your orders, Kersey said, narrowing his eyes. Carry them out now, or I'll find someone who will. The sergeant muttered. Yes, sir. He turned away from them and cupped his hand around his mouth. Hanson, Fleming, Bird, Wade, up front now. I might be wrong here, Cap, but I don't think he's too pleased to be taking orders from you, Johnson said quietly, leaning over. Baker raised an eyebrow. Did you do something to piss him off? It would appear so, Kersey replied, but didn't seem too perturbed by it. As they waited, the soldiers jumping down from the train passed the names that Gilbert had bellowed until four men finally emerged from the pack and approached their sergeant. Yes, sir, a corporal asked, saluting at the line of his salt and pepper hair. You four report to the captain over there, Gilbert said gruffly, and fell in behind the quartet as they approached the soldiers. You boys are shooters, Kersey asked. The youngest looking one grinned, holding up a fist decorated with heavy metal tattoos. Best you're gonna find in these parts. The captain chuckled. I have a shooter who might disagree with you there. Well, just tell him top five ain't that bad, came the reply. Good luck with that, Private, Kersey replied with a tilt of his head. 
I want you to follow Johnson here. He's going to set you up with a transport and directions. You'll be meeting up with my men down by the river. They'll fill you in from there. There was a chorus of, yes, sir, and the captain motioned to Johnson. Now get a move on. This attack is going to be starting right after the briefing, he said. Come on, boys, Johnson declared. Hope y'all don't mind a bumpy ride. The short and stocky shooter held up his hand. As long as I'm not on that godforsaken train, you can shake me like a fucking paint mixer for all I care. Definitely not letting you drive, then, the fourth shooter, a tall, young-looking country boy, said, and they headed off towards the parking lot. Captain, my boys have been on that train all night long, Gilbert said, turning to Kersey. They need rest before going into battle. Then they should have slept on the train, the captain replied, voice level. General Stevens ordered me to get this assault going ASAP, and that's what I intend to do. Shouldn't we wait on the reinforcements before taking on Spokane? The sergeant asked, eyes wide. We are, but we have some shit to do first, Kersey replied, impatience rising in him. Now you have your orders, sergeant. Assemble your team leaders at the lodge in five. He didn't wait for a response, simply turning his back and heading off with Baker. Gilbert glared at his retreating back and then stomped off, barking orders and names to assemble his team. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Chapter 3 There were around 40 men crammed into the lobby, soldiers moving around and bumping into each other, trying to find places to sit other than on the floor. As they managed to settle, Kersey headed around the large desk at the one end. Johnson and Baker following with a large piece of poster board. All right, everybody, let's get settled in here, the captain called, holding out his hands. I'll start by saying that I know everyone here is tired. Being on a train is no fun and far from relaxing, but that's the glamorous lifestyle we all signed up for, right? A chorus of self-deprecating laughs echoed throughout the room, and Kersey gave them a smile as he turned to the poster board. There was a crudely drawn map on it, big enough for even those in the back to be able to see what he was talking about. Our main target is Spokane, he said, pointing to the far left of the map. Home to roughly a quarter million people before the war, and we can only assume roughly that many zombies currently. Before we can launch that assault, we have to take care of Hayden. He pointed to a long horizontal box on the right side of the map. And post falls. His finger moved down to a square box in the center, near a long vertical line cutting the map in two. Johnson and Baker are handing out smaller maps, so you can follow along. We have multiple objectives to achieve, the first of which is already underway, south of Hayden on the lake. There are two small fire teams hitting the water to create a distraction, which will hopefully lure the southernmost zombies away from the battle. Once they complete that, they'll be moving upriver into Spokane to scout the situation and to create a foothold at the airport on the far west side of town. Now if you'll turn your attention to the center portion of the map, this is Post Falls, population 30,000. Clearing Hayden is going to be difficult enough without the noise we're going to be making drawing these ghouls into the fight, which is why Johnson and Baker are going to take a team here on the west side. 
This is the Idaho-Washington state line, which has a pair of bridges running across the river. They will be commandeering transfer trucks we have located at a truck stop on the north side of Hayden. They'll drive straight through the center of town before picking up the interstate, driving past Post Falls while being as loud and obnoxious as humanly possible. Something I come by naturally, Captain, Johnson bellowed from the back, causing another smattering of laughter. We're going to load them up with as much ammo as they can carry, Kersey continued. Set up a barricade at the bridge and hopefully draw as many zombies from Post Falls as possible. As they pick up the interstate here, two trucks will be diverted to the bridge, blocking it off. When the trucks are being requisitioned, a fire team will be hitting the used car dealership across the street for sedans. The trucks park on the bridge, the cars plug up any holes, and that team will be another diversion. Hopefully, between the waterfront and the bridge, it'll break up the mobs enough that they won't be big enough to overwhelm the fire teams. The bulk of the teams will start at the north part of town and work south block by block. Teams will consist of 10 men each, and there will be two teams assigned to each other. 40 teams will be on the east side of town, as it's the more densely populated side. 20 teams on the west side will move south as quickly as possible, before heading west to set up a fire line in case we get any visitors from Post Falls. Any questions so far? The captain looked around the room and saw a hand go up. He pointed to the soldier. Sir, what's the timetable to clear this town? The soldier asked. We need to have it pacified by sundown, Kersey replied. There was a long, sharp silence until the soldier finally said, Forgive me, sir, but this seems like a tall order to clear this many structures with limited personnel. My apologies on not being clear, the captain replied. The fire teams are not clearing every structure. Your mission is to clear the streets of every zombie and check each building to make sure it's secure. If the structure is locked up, mark it with a spray-painted circle. If the door is open, one team will go in while the partner team provides cover from the outside. There will be a handful of teams that are equipped to do full breach and sweeps of the locked structures. More than likely, it will take several days to clear out every structure in town, let alone what we find in Spokane. But with the streets cleared, there won't be a rush to take care of that. Does that answer your question, soldier? Yes, sir, it does. The young private replied with a nod and leaned back. Kersey surveyed the room. Anybody else? He waited, but nobody broke the silence. Very well. If you have people in your teams who can hotwire vehicles or drive a big rig, send them up here so Johnson and Baker can get the people they need. Good luck, be safe, and let's get it done out there. Dismissed. The troop stood and began to bustle out of the building. Gilbert squeezed past a few bodies to join Kersey, Johnson, and Baker. Sir, I have a corporal I can recommend to lead the truck team to Post Falls, the sergeant said. The captain shook his head. Thank you, Sergeant, but I prefer to have my men in charge of that operation, as they're familiar with the area and what needs to be done. Gilbert scoffed. Sir, with all due respect, having privates lead a mission is a bad idea. Johnson, Baker, Kersey smirked. Field promotion. Until this operation is over, you've both been promoted to corporal. Both men responded with an excited, thank you, sir, and headed off after a hearty salute. You can't do that. Gilbert hissed, glaring daggers at his superior. Kersey turned on him and stood uncomfortably close to him, calm fury in his eyes. I just did, Sergeant, he said, voice low. So unless you have a direct line to General Stevens and think you can convince him that he made a mistake in promoting me to head up this operation, 
I suggest you shut the fuck up and do as you're told. Now if there's nothing else? There is, sir, Gilbert replied, gritting his teeth. He straightened his shoulders. I'd like to volunteer to lead the bridge diversion team. The captain regarded him for a moment. It wasn't usually a great idea to put the highest ranking man in the field in the most dangerous spot, but perhaps it would get the annoyed sergeant engaged enough to do his job. Okay, I'll grant your request, Kersey said finally. Your team will be tasked with getting sedans from the used dealership and following the trucks through town. Wedge them underneath the trucks and take out as many of those things as you can. Thank you, sir, he turned to leave. Sergeant, Kersey held up a hand. Gilbert slowly turned back to him. Yes, Captain. It takes a special kind of man to volunteer for the most dangerous assignment, Kersey said. You follow your orders and do your job, and I'll put in a good word for you with the general and recommend a promotion. I've been friends with him for years. He'll listen to me. Gilbert clenched his jaw. Thank you, Captain, he seethed and swept out of the room. Kersey pursed his lips, crossing his arms for a moment, wondering if he'd made the right decision. Before he could fall too far down the rabbit hole, however, a tall, lanky guy with a mess of orange curls walked up to him. Hey, you the captain? He asked. Kersey looked him up and down, confused. He was in simple jeans and a black t-shirt with some anime character on it. Um, yes, he replied. Great the guy said, and then turned and yelled out the door. All right, we're in here, boys. Three men in army fatigues entered, carrying armloads of computers and monitors, followed by three guys in civvies carrying large metal briefcases. One of the soldiers approached Kersey and saluted. Where would you like us to set up, sir? He asked. The captain raised an eyebrow. What are you setting up? Anime shirt guy spread his arms with a wide smile. It's your command center, Captain. We are your eyes and ears, both on the ground and in the sky. Oh, Kersey replied, and motioned to the stairs. There's a conference room up there to the right. Should have everything you need. He waited for the troops to head up, and then turned to the redhead. What's your name, son? David Fraser, at your service, sir. He replied with a grin, and then took one of the metal cases from his dressed-down friends and set it on the desk. He unclipped it revealing a fancy-looking drone. This here, Captain, is the finest commercially available drone to be found in the free world. And if I'm being honest, probably the not-so-free world as well. Each of my boys here have one, and they are ready to go wherever you need them to. Kersey eyed the machine, and then glanced at the trio of geek-shirt-wearing guys. Going to go out on a limb and assume that military-grade stuff didn't make the trip to the heartland? Well, I'm not exactly privy to that kind of information. David replied, holding up a finger. I kind of got the sense that when the evacuation orders came down, you boys were more concerned about bullets than you were about surveillance gear. The captain cocked his head. So the military tracked you guys down and drafted you to the cause? Drafted? David snorted a laugh. Hell no, we volunteered. Kersey blinked at him. That's unexpected. Not if you saw the shithole hometown we're from. The redhead replied. Kersey cracked a smile and shrugged. Fair enough. So any one of you particularly prone to danger seeking? The trio of remaining pilots glanced at each other before the two on the left focused on the well-built man on the right. He smiled sheepishly and raised his hand. Guess that'd be me, he said. If you'll go out the door to the left, 
Kersey instructed. You'll see my men standing there. Just ask for Johnson and Baker. You'll be with them. The pilot grinned and grabbed his gear, gave each of his friends an enthusiastic fist bump, and then left. Kersey turned to the other two. If you guys don't mind hanging out here in the lobby, I'll get you assigned to a team here shortly. They nodded and headed for a nearby couch, and the sergeant motioned for David to lead him up the stairs to the conference room. So what kind of capabilities do those drones have? In theory, those things can get up to several thousand feet, but practically speaking, we're gonna need to be topping out about four or five hundred feet, he replied. That'll give us the best view of the battlefield, so to speak. Flight time? Kersey asked. Twenty minutes on a single charge, David said. The sergeant shook his head as he pushed the conference room door open. Doesn't sound like it's going to be that useful. Well, each pilot has 12 batteries and a mobile charger with a car adapter, the redhead explained. So as long as you can get me a car with a working battery, we can keep those buggers in the air pretty much nonstop. We'll just have to land and swap batteries. Kersey nodded thoughtfully. I stand corrected. The conference room was already transformed into a makeshift command center with four stations. Three were already manned by a soldier, the men just firing up their screens. They're going to be handling your audio communication between the teams, as well as updating a map of the area we pulled from satellite imagery, David explained. That way we know what's been cleared. Kersey nodded and studied the fourth station, a trio of screens with what looked like flight controls. And your setup? This is a little custom-made beauty I'm quite proud of, David gushed, waving the captain over. It allows me to not only monitor each of the three drones while they're in the air, but I can also manually take control of the cameras. So if you see something you want a closer look at, you point to it and I'll zoom in. Works a lot better than trying to relay communications to the field, especially when time is of the essence. Kersey blinked at him. That's hardcore, he said. I dig it. Seems like it would be a bit overkill in the real world, but should work great here. Yeah, it was overkill, but that's why we got so much work, the redhead explained. We did surveying of a lot of corporate farms, and the fat cats from the city would come out to inspect things. With other pilots, they'd have to go out in the field and watch on a little monitor. But with me, they could sit in the AC, sip in their sweet tea, and bark out directions like they were back in the office. They'd pay a premium for that shit, too. Kersey shook his head with a grin. Nobody ever went broke underestimating the laziness of others. No, Captain, they sure didn't, David agreed. Let me know when you're up, because this thing's gonna be starting soon, Kersey said. The redhead nodded. You got it, Captain. Kersey stepped out of the conference room and pulled out his radio, lifting it to his lips. Bretz, you there? There was a moment of dead air, and then his corporal's voice came through, loud and clear. I'm here, Captain. Kersey took a deep breath. I think it's time to hit the water. Chapter Four Private Wade fired up one of the party boats, Kowalski and Private Fleming up top with their rifles. Mason piloted the other one, the engine roars dueling with one another. Privates Bird and Hansen perched atop that one, with Brett standing at the front to keep an eye on the mission. Nice and slow, we're going to take it up a few hundred yards and park a hundred yards from the shore, he said as they opened the doors. Assuming you boys can hit the target from there. Bird leaned over, hanging his head over the edge to look his superior directly in the eye. Corporal, I realize we just meant and all, 
But if you keep doubting our abilities to that extent, then we're going to start taking it personally. Fair enough. Bratz crossed his arms. We'll park it out 120 yards from shore. That's more like it, Bird replied, and slithered back into place. The boats moved out onto the water, Mason and Wade bringing them up to speed slowly and gently, testing the engines. They finally made it up to a fair clip, heading towards their firing positions. Hey, I just had a thought, Kowalski said, leaning over the edge of the roof to look down at Wade. The private glanced up, suddenly reminiscent of a child playing on a bunk bed. Why do I get the sense that's a dangerous thing? Normally you'd be right, but this time it's not too bad, Kowalski admitted. Wade chuckled. What you thinking? This is a party boat, right? The private asked. Shouldn't there be some sort of PA system, or at the very least a radio system? Wade browsed the console dash and found a walkie-talkie handset. He held it up and wiggled it for Kowalski to see. Well, we're halfway there, he said. The sniper nodded. What about some music? Wade spotted a cabinet on the bottom portion of the console and opened it. Jesus fucking Christ, are you kidding me? He recoiled in horror. You all right? Kowalski called. No, man, pretty fucking far from all right, Wade snapped. The sniper slid sideways and then flipped down from the roof, landing on his feet on the front of the boat. He slid over to see what had horrified the young private. Jesus, man, what is it? He asked, peering into the cabinet at two tall rows of CDs. Uh, you have a thing against compact discs? Wade pulled out the cases, fanning them out for his companion to see. Fucking yacht rock, man. You telling me I gotta deal with this easy listening crap all day? What, you not a Steely Dan fan? Kowalski asked, amused. Fuck no, Wade growled. Give me some Maiden, Priest, Motorhead. Hell, I'd even settle for some Poison or Bon Jovi over this crap. Fleming's head popped out over the side of the roof. Man, you going on about heavy metal again? Goddamn right I am, Wade called back, puffing out his chest. It's a way of life. He slammed the CDs back into the cabinet with more force than was necessary. You'll have to forgive him, Fleming said to the sniper. He's been rebelling against his name since his parents gave it to him. Holy shit, how bad can it be? Kowalski asked. Wade took a deep breath. I was named after my great-grandfather, Milton. Kowalski stifled a laugh, shaking his head and clapping his hand down on the private's shoulder. I feel you, brother. You keep fighting the good fight. And just remember, it could be worse. Wade wrinkled his nose. How? At least it ain't disco, Kowalski replied. His companion nodded. You got me there, man. Kowalski, get in position, Bretz barked from the other boat. Plenty of time to chat when we're riding upriver. The sniper saluted the corporal. On it. He climbed back up onto the roof, getting into firing position next to Fleming. The boat slowed in the center of the lake at the anchor point. Bretz gave the signal to cut the engines, and both boats stopped. He raised a hand to shield his eyes from the sun, and then made a fist with the other. All right, light them up, the corporal bellowed. Kowalski took aim at the shore, scanning for targets. He found a zombie wearing loose jeans and a bloodied button-down shirt, and focused, accounting for the soft bobbing of the boat before pulling the trigger. As the zombie's head exploded, the other snipers began to fire, and gunshots filled the air. 
one after the other, the shooters found their targets, dropping corpse after corpse on the beach. Bretz pulled out a set of binoculars, but before he could raise them to his eyes, steel drums and guitar filled the air. He wrinkled his nose and looked around, focusing on Wade. What the fuck? he asked, and the private simply shrugged before clambering up onto the roof to help with the shooting. The corporal shook his head as the five shooters continued firing and peered through the binoculars to see dozens of zombies emerging from the houses and brush near the shore. While his team hit their targets well, it seemed that for every corpse that dropped, three more showed up to take its place. After several minutes of sustained firing, hundreds of zombies lined the shores, excited by gunshots and dulcet tones of easy-listening yacht rock. Bretz let out a sharp whistle and raised his fist as some of the creatures began to make their way into the water. All right, shut it down, boys, he bellowed. I think he means the music, too, Kowalski hissed. Wade swung down from the roof with easy grace and flicked the music off on the console. Bretz pulled out a walkie-talkie and lifted it to his mouth. Captain, you copy? Cursey here, came the reply. How is the waterfront distraction going? I think we got all we're going to get, Bretz replied. There are several hundred on the shorelines, but I'd rather not push it any further than that. Some of them are starting to get in the water, which could cause some trouble later. Understood, Kersey said. I want you to go ahead and start moving upriver. Fire off when you can to pull as many as you can to vacant shoreline. When you start getting near Post Falls, really let it rip. 10-4, Bretz replied. I'll give you an update once we get a sense of what Post Falls has for us. Sounds good, the captain agreed. The truck team just arrived at the vehicles, so they should be on schedule and beat you to the state line. Any others you can send their way would be helpful. Bretz nodded. We'll take care of it, Captain, and be in touch. He clipped the radio back to his belt and raised his hand again. Mason, Wade, let's get those engines going. Time to take a little boat cruise. Chapter 5 Johnson and Baker led a team of 15 to the edge of a grassy knoll that overlooked the truck stop on the northwest side of town. Hey, Cap, you read me? Johnson asked as he hefted the huge ammo bag on his back. The truck stop was huge, with at least 40 pumps and a dozen or so tractor trailers sitting in the overnight lot. Kersey came back. Go ahead, Johnson. Gilbert's team of 10 were on the other side of the highway waiting on Johnson, the rest of the troops a block behind them, also waiting for the go-ahead. We're in position, Johnson replied, scanning the area with his binoculars. But we have a fair amount of resistance. How bad, the captain asked. Nothing we can't handle, Johnson admitted, taking in the 20 or 30 zombies in the parking lot, not to mention the few dozen more milling about nearby. But if you want to give the east side boys the thumbs up to start shooting, it might go a long way towards distracting any of those things so they don't come our way. Hang tight, Kersey replied. Okay, where are my hot wire guys at? Johnson turned to his team as Baker stood guard, keeping an eye on the zombies. Three men raised their hands, and Johnson grinned. Good. When we move, we're gonna go right down the line, starting them up and moving them out. The first two out the gate leads the way for Gilbert's team. The rest waits to move as a single unit. Questions? The entire group shook their heads in the negative, just as gunfire echoed in the east. They have the green light, Johnson. Kersey came through the radio. 
Johnson nodded and lifted the device again. Thanks, Cap, we can hear him. Baker tapped him on the shoulder, pointing at the truck stop. A few of the creatures seemed to be paying attention, a few of them turning to wander towards the noise, but most seemed oblivious, still hanging around. It's not drawing many, Johnson reported, but hopefully it'll do the trick for those a couple blocks away. Let me know when the first two are ready to go, and I'll coordinate with Sergeant Gilbert, Kersey said. Johnson nodded. 10-4, he said, and put the radio away before letting out a whistle. He put up five fingers and did an exaggerated countdown to three before lowering his hand so that Gilbert and his team could see. When he silently hit zero, he led his team out from behind cover and noted that the sergeant's team followed suit, heading towards their target. As soon as Johnson's boots hit the pavement, a few ghouls turned to him, mouths opening. He fired two quick, precise shots, dropping them both, and waved for the hot wire team to come around him as he held the line. Baker and three other soldiers swept the front of the truck, giving it a wide berth so they wouldn't be surprised. As they broke out into the open area of the parking lot, they noted eight zombies scattered about. They fanned out, carefully taking aim and firing, clearing a path to the first few trucks in a matter of seconds. Johnson appeared out from behind the truck. Baker, your team move up and clear the rest of the trucks, he said. We'll set up a perimeter here so we can get them going. Baker nodded, waving at his guys. You heard the men, let's get moving. Gilbert led his squad of five next to his second in command, Corporal Herrera with his own squad of five. They quickly moved across the street to the used car dealership. There were about 40 cars in the lot, the old building clearly a renovated gas station. Late model sedans boasted bright neon discount tags on their windshields, and there was also a lineup of jumbo SUVs parked along the far line. Herrera reached the lot first and ducked around a four-door sedan, firing a few quick shots at a cluster of zombies on the other side. They dropped quickly. Clear to the building, he barked. Let's move up. He raised a hand and waved it next to his head, turning in a slow arc to sweep the area as they moved. They reached the building and hit formation at the door as Gilbert's team set up a perimeter around them, occasionally needing to pop off a shot or two to take down an approaching corpse. On three, Herrera said, holding up his hand. One, two, three. He kicked the door open and stormed into the dimly lit area. There was a cluster of cubicles to the left, and he rushed it immediately, leaving the show floor in favor of nooks and crannies that zombies could be hiding. Light poured in as one of the men tore down some of the blinds on the big windows, and the corporal returned to the front, having found nothing in the cubicles. We're clear up front, he said, and pointed to two of his men. Check the back room and the restrooms. Rest of you look for the key box. We need sedan keys. Let's move. Gilbert strolled in and held up a palm. Change of plans. Get the keys to the SUVs up front. Herrera's brow furrowed as he turned to his superior. We have orders to get sedans, Sergeant. And I'm making a battlefield decision, Gilbert snarled, leaning in, voice low. You have your orders, carry them out. The corporal clenched his jaw for a moment. Sir, those SUVs aren't going to fit underneath the trucks. We don't need the trucks, those SUVs will do just fine, Gilbert snapped. And we'll achieve our mission much quicker. Now do as you're told or I'll find someone who will. 
Herrera swallowed hard, at war with himself. He opened his mouth to argue some more, but then shook his head and waved his hand in the air. You heard the sergeant, he barked. SUV keys, let's move it. Across the street, Baker approached Johnson, his men setting up a perimeter at the back of the lot. Trucks are cleared and perimeter is set, he reported. So far it doesn't look like we attracted too many of them. That's a relief, Johnson agreed. Baker motioned the vehicles. How are these coming? With any luck, they should be up and running in a minute or two, Johnson replied. Just as the words finished coming out of his mouth, engines roared to life across the street, and they looked up to see half a dozen SUVs take off from the used car dealership and head down the highway. What the hell? Johnson gaped, and then pulled out his walkie-talkie, changing the frequency over to the sergeants. Gilbert, what the fuck are you doing? He demanded. There was no answer. Sergeant Gilbert, Johnson yelled into the radio. Get your fucking ass back here now. I'm a sergeant, the silky voice came back. I don't answer to you, corporal. Follow the mission, Johnson yelled. Gilbert, sergeant. He slammed his fist down on his thigh, sharing a furious look with Baker. God damn it. He changed the frequency on his radio. Captain, come in. We have a big fucking problem. What's happened? Kersey asked immediately. That happy-go-dumbass sergeant just booked it down the highway without us in SUVs, Johnson replied. Motherfucker, the captain snapped. How soon are you able to move? Should have the first two trucks up in minutes, the corporal said. As soon as they're up, haul ass, Kersey instructed. Johnson nodded. Ten four. Gilbert cruised down the highway, arm casually flopped over the steering wheel of the lead SUV. Sergeant Gilbert, Kersey came through on his radio, sounding livid. Just what in the holy hell do you think you're doing? The sergeant pushed the accelerator harder, picking up speed to 60. Zombies staggered around on the side of the road, attracted to the noise of the six-vehicle convoy. Completing the mission, Captain. You are to turn around right now and procure the sedans you were ordered to get, Kersey said firmly. Gilbert sneered and then swerved violently to avoid a few zombies on the road. Sorry, Captain, but you're going to have to hang on. We're hitting some traffic. He clicked off the radio and tossed it onto the passenger seat. The roadway headed into an area with small shops on either side, and a cluster of zombies appeared in the distance in the middle of the road. He wavered, unsure of whether he could get around the pack or not. Fuck it, he muttered. Let's see what this baby can do. He slammed down the gas pedal, screaming away from the rest of the convoy. His front bumper slammed into the front edge of the zombie mass, sending bodies flinging in every direction. He let out a primal yell, smacking his hand down on the steering wheel with glee. One of the zombies flipped over his vehicle and flew into the windshield of the SUV behind. The glass shattered, and the corpse crumpled into the cab like a rag doll. It immediately smelled fresh meat, however, and clawed at the now shrieking driver. His partner in the passenger seat screamed and tried to draw his gun, but the flailing limbs in his lap made it next to impossible. The creature bit down on the driver's hand, and the rest of the convoy watched helplessly as the SUV careened off of the road and smashed into the front of a clothing store. Mannequins and glass fell all over the place, and zombies immediately descended on the wreckage 
preventing any escape. Herrera gritted his teeth as he drove by, knowing that to stop would be to put the entire mission at risk. Jesus Christ, man, we gotta go help him. The soldier in the passenger seat turned right around to look out the back window at the horde. The mission comes first, the corporal reminded him. We'll radio command when we secure the bridge, and they can send rescue. He punched the gas to catch up to his wayward sergeant, who was a full block ahead of them. Gilbert reached the bridge and veered sharply to the right, smacking a trio of zombies near the edge. They flew off of the edge of the bridge down onto the pavement below, and a maniacal cackle rose up in his throat. It was short-lived, however, when the far end of the bridge caught his eye, and he slowly turned towards the few hundred zombies headed towards him. Fuck, 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 he chanted, and threw the SUV into gear, speeding it to the edge of the bridge to park in the right lane. He hopped out and slammed the door, looking behind him for the rest of the convoy as he hopped from foot to foot. He inspected the bridge and the length of the SUV, and grim realization fell over him like a prickly blanket that they would be unable to close the bridge with the six vehicles they'd taken. His search for a promotion had gone very, very wrong. Herrera arrived first, and he quickly got out of the way so the others could get by. He hopped out and waved them in, getting the vehicles bumper to bumper. Hurry up, they're almost here. Gilbert frantically waved them into position, trying to ignore the panic at the four-foot gap on the left side of their mostly useless barricade. The soldiers poured out of the vehicles and braced themselves behind the vehicles. Hundreds upon hundreds of corpses staggered towards them, moaning and snarling and snapping, the stench wafting towards them like a tidal wave of rotted death. Start shooting, Gilbert screamed. The soldiers began firing erratically, fueled by panic and not knowing exactly where to aim with so many targets. Several zombies fell, but the majority of the bullets vanished into the horde, hitting torsos or limbs uselessly. Before the troops had even gotten through a single magazine, the zombies were pressed up against the SUVs. With the force of the pushing horde, the tires began to screech as the vehicles moved along the asphalt. Gilbert's eyes widened as zombies filled up the gap on the left side. Contact, nine o'clock, he screamed, and two of the soldiers broke formation to try to suppress the situation. They moved as they fired, clipping a few of the approaching corpses. A hand reached out from beneath one of the vehicles and wrapped around one soldier's foot, tripping him as he went, his face smacking into the pavement with a wet snapping sound. His partner turned to grab his arm and pull him back up, but the zombies filling the gap descended upon them quickly, screaming their excitement for living meat. The soldiers fired, but at the angle beneath the approaching corpses, they could only hit them in the torso, not able to hit high enough for proper headshots. More zombies slithered underneath the SUVs, and the first crawling one managed to take a chunk out of its victim's calf. He screamed in agony, falling back, and his partner froze in panic, unsure of what to do. It was all the moment that the ghouls needed to lunge and latch onto his arm and shoulder, and more bloodied teeth sank into flesh. Herrera watched in horror as the two men were swallowed by rotted bodies, and then turned back to his team, helping them pick off the thankfully few zombies on his side of the bridge. Corporal, the trucks are coming one of the soldiers yelled. 
Herrera turned and spotted two semis barreling down the street towards them, zombies flying left and right like bugs on a windshield. Clear the road for them, he barked, and clambered back into his SUV. He backed it up and slammed the bumper into the guardrail. The lead truck screamed through the center of the road and moved into the far right lane. He laid on the horn hard, prompting Gilbert and his two surviving men to jump out of the way. The truck gained speed and then cut sharply to the left, hitting the brakes and jackknifing. Tires squealed and the top of the truck tipped with a groan. The front wheels caught the curb and that gave it just enough momentum to topple. Sparks flew as the metal scraped pavement, skidding across the road into the line of SUVs, crushing a few dozen zombies against them. Despite the driver's best efforts, there was still a six-foot gap on the right side of the bridge. Herrera hit the gas, screaming down the bridge towards it. He slammed the hood into the gap, wedging his vehicle into the hole with a violent stop. He sat for a moment in shock, whiplashed and tired, and then snapped back into full color at the sound of hands smacking the hood. He clambered over the back seat, the doors wedged shut from being stuck between the cars and the bridge. Another soldier popped the back hatch so he could climb out. Are you okay, Corporal? He didn't answer, simply stalking back to the center of the bridge, rage in his eyes. Gilbert stood there, hands on his hips, chest puffed out as he surveyed the other truck securing its position on the other side of the bridge. The sergeant turned. It was close, but we got it, smack. Herrera's fist connected with Gilbert's jaw, interrupting his victory speech before it could even begin. The sergeant fell back on his ass, staring up in shock at his subordinate, who was now pointing a handgun in his face. He blinked rapidly. I'm going to have you court-martialed. Shut the fuck up, Herrera screamed. Four men are dead because you couldn't follow simple fucking orders. We completed the mission, that's all that matters, Gilbert replied and braced his hand to get up. The corporal fired a shot just to the side of him, quickly wiping the smug smile from the sergeant's face. Give me your radio, he demanded. Gilbert shakily handed over his radio, and Herrera turned it on. Have eyes on Sergeant Gilbert? Kersey's voice came through firmly. Repeat, does anybody have eyes on Sergeant Gilbert? Yes, sir, Herrera replied, keeping his gun trained on the man on the ground. I've got him right here. Kersey paused. Who is this? Corporal Herrera, sir, he replied. We've secured the bridge, albeit at a high cost. Casualties? The captain asked. Two confirmed dead, Herrera replied. Two more potentials. They crashed into a store a few blocks back and got surrounded. I don't know if they're alive or dead. I'll get a team up there as quickly as I can, Corporal, Kersey promised. The corporal nodded. Thank you. Where is Sergeant Gilbert? The captain asked. Laying on the ground with the barrel of my rifle pointed at his head, Herrera replied easily. There was a brief pause, and then Kersey came back. Make sure he can hear what I'm about to say. Yes, sir, the corporal replied, and then held out the walkie-talkie so that it was nearly smacking his captive in the nose. Sergeant Gilbert, I'm stripping you of your rank effective immediately, Kersey said firmly. Corporal Herrera is in charge now. Corporal, if Private Gilbert disobeys your orders, 
You were under direct orders to shoot him in the face and toss him over the side of the bridge. Is that understood? Herrera nodded and brought the radio back to his lips. Yes, sir. I want a progress report in 20, the captain said. Yes, sir, Herrera repeated and clipped the radio to his belt. He just grossly abused his rank, and he doesn't have the power to do what he just did, Gilbert snarled. So you need to get back to the line, and maybe I'll forget your little sucker punch. You may not take your orders seriously, private, Herrera said, voice low and calm. He cocked his rifle with a sharp click. But I sure as hell do. Now get your shit and get to the line. He stared down his nose until Gilbert reluctantly peeled himself off of the ground, scurrying back to the line to pick off zombies. Chapter six. Kersey poured himself a cup of coffee in the quiet kitchenette off of the lobby. Normally, a commander wouldn't step away from the action during an operation, but he desperately needed a moment to clear his head. I've never ordered a soldier to take a man's life, he thought, let alone a fellow soldier. He reached up and rubbed his temple as he brought the mug of steaming brew to his lips. With the gravity of this situation, however, he'd felt like he had to make a point, make an example of what happens when you don't follow orders. This was an important mission. This world wasn't the same as it had been two weeks ago, where this level of insubordination would lead to a court-martial. New world, new tactics, he thought, and took a deep breath. He squared his shoulders and walked back into the command center. Ready to get back at it, Captain? David asked, standing behind the trio of military operators who were in constant contact with the ground forces. He leaned over and pointed to one of the screens, murmuring to one of the guys, before straightening up and offering a smile to the captain. Kersey nodded. Yep, let's have it. David tapped one of the troops on the shoulder, and he pulled up a map of the west side of town. Red highlighted the streets parallel to the highway, with a long stretch still uncovered. The west side squads are moving quickly, he said, finding moderate resistance. There have been reports of several houses needing to be breached, but the majority have been locked up tight. Casualties? Kersey asked. David shook his head. A few minor injuries, but no bites or fatalities. How about the aerial coverage, the captain asked. The lanky man flopped down in his comfy computer chair and rolled to face his workstation, pulling up an aerial shot of the area. Kersey leaned in, and the drone hovered a few hundred feet above the action. There were three blocks of houses across two streets, and six teams moved through them, methodically and with purpose. There didn't seem to be much in the way of zombies on the ground, but if a few staggered out, the teams easily dispatched them. One team vanished into a building, and another stood guard outside. A block over, another team checked a house and then spray-painted it, marking that it was sealed up tight. They're moving at a pretty good clip, Kersey commended. Is there an ETA on reaching the interstate? Not yet, David replied, shaking his head. There are some big box stores coming up in about half a mile. Once we get a sense of how overrun they are, I can give you an estimate. I can work with that, the captain said. How's the east side doing? His charge punched on the keyboard, and the drone view changed to another, flying much higher. The stats in the corner of the screen boasted 400 feet, giving a more complete view of the western portion of the operation. 
As you can see, there's a lot more ground to cover on the east side, David explained. But let's zoom in and see what we can see. He clicked around and soon took control of the drone. He moved the camera around, giving them a panoramic view of the area. There was action everywhere as the teams moved through the dense neighborhood. They moved efficiently and methodically like the other teams, clearing and guarding as they moved. There seemed to be more zombies about, but nothing the teams couldn't handle, and they still seemed to be moving at a good pace. Hang on, shift back over for a bit, Kersey said suddenly. David panned back, raising an eyebrow. Spot something, Captain? There. He held up a hand to stop the shifting and pointed to a large black mass in the middle of one of the roads. Can you get me a better shot of that? His drone commander nodded. I gotcha. He moved the machine into position and zoomed the camera in. The two men blinked and leaned back in unison at the sight. There were hundreds of zombies in the street, a tight, writhing mass of rotted flesh shuffling towards the teams a few blocks up. Get me the two tandems that are working that road, Kersey said. David fumbled a notepad on his desk, checking numbers on the paper and glancing at the screen, back and forth and back and forth. Sooner would be better than later, the captain said wryly, playful but beneath very tense. David murmured, almost there. He glanced a few more times and then rolled his chair to the computer station next to him, bumping the soldier there out of the way. Sorry, going to be quicker if I do it myself. The soldier held up his hands and rolled back, out of the way. Have at it. David punched a series of numbers into one of the screens and then hit enter, holding out the microphone to the captain. There you go, you're on with the leaders of all those teams. This is Captain Kersey, is everybody reading me? Kersey asked immediately, holding the microphone tightly. There was a chorus of four, yes sir, check-ins and he nodded. Good, he said, and straightened his shoulders. I need you to secure whatever structure you are currently clearing, then immediately move a block south. You have a few hundred zombies headed your way, and they need to be dealt with immediately. We are monitoring the situation from here, and will send reinforcements should you need them. We're on the move, sir, one of them replied right away. Someone will be monitoring this channel if you need anything, Kersey informed them. Kersey out. He handed back the headset, and David passed it over to the soldier he'd bumped. They watched with bated breath as the teams quickly wrapped up the houses they were clearing and then moved to the next intersection, three blocks away from the huge horde. David and Kersey moved back to the main three-screen drone station, the former waving his soldier back into position to monitor the team's communication. They watched as the teams got into a firing line with lone holdouts covering the flank and rear, and then they began to fire. The sustained fire ripped through the approaching horde, and bodies began to fall and pile in the street. Kersey pressed his lips into a thin line. Five minutes passed, and the constant firing had definitely reduced the number of zombies left, but there were easily still a few hundred left. The fallen bodies, however, had created a decent barrier to keep the horde from pressing forward. Have one tandem stand guard at the intersection to make sure none of them break through, he said finally, turning back to the other soldier. Send the other team back to where they left off. Yes, sir, the soldier replied, and adjusted his headset to relay the order. Captain, I have Corporal Johnson for you, 
David said, holding out his own headset. Kersey took it and set it on his head, leaning against the table behind him. What have you got for me, Johnson? We had some issues with the trucks, but we're up and running now, the corporal said. We good to head out? Stand by, the captain replied and leaned over David. Can you grab the west side camera and move it to the highway, he asked. David nodded. Sure thing. He maneuvered the drone so that it was aiming right down the highway, zooming in as far as it could go. There were a few dozen zombies spread out, but nothing that would really pose a danger to the big trucks. Johnson, you're clear through the shops about a mile or two up, Kersey said. Let me know when you hit the interstate. 10-4, Cap, Johnson replied. Kersey took a deep breath and then clapped David on the shoulder. Can you get me Brett's? His companion nodded and clacked a few keys on the keyboard before giving him a thumbs up. Kersey nodded. How's my favorite sea captain doing? He asked, a lopsided grin erupting on his face. Oh, you know, just picking out which village we want to plunder next, Bretz replied, equal amusement in his voice. Based on the citizens I've seen so far, you may want to skip this town, Kersey chuckled. Bretz joined in. No shit. How you boys doing out there? The captain asked. We've pulled a few thousand to the shores as we move upriver, the corporal reported back. Should be getting close to Post Falls in 15 or so. In the background of him speaking, Kersey could faintly hear some easy listening music. Are you guys rocking out to Steely Dan? He asked, brow furrowed. Well, I wouldn't exactly call it rocking out, Bretz admitted. But the zombies seem to like it okay, so we keep playing it. Hey, whatever works, right? The captain shrugged. The corporal snorted. Easy to say when you don't have to listen to it, he replied dryly. Fair enough, Kersey replied with a laugh. Well, you guys can pick up the pace. Johnson and his trucking convoy is on the move, so you should be good to hit post falls. And feel free to crank it to 11. Pretty sure if I did that, Wade would shoot himself, Bratz admitted. Or me. I leave it up to your discretion then, Kersey chuckled. Give me a status update once you get into Post Falls. You can count on it, Captain, Bretz replied. Kersey removed the headset and handed it back to David, who gave him a little salute. All in all, I'd say we're doing pretty good so far, the lanky man declared. The captain shook his head and took a thoughtful sip of his coffee. I've been in enough operations to know shit can go sideways at a moment's notice. He sighed, so don't get cocky yet. Yeah, I can't really speak from experience there, David admitted. Biggest threat I had at my day job was a hawk trying to attack one of my drones. Kersey stared down at him and wrinkled his nose. Well, don't jinx us unless you have some spare drones lying around. David pretended to zip and lock his mouth shut and throw away the key. A laugh escaped the captain's mouth at the grown man acting like a little kid, and he clapped his unlikely comrade on the shoulder before turning back to the screen. Chapter Seven Kowalski raised an eyebrow at Wade, gun right next to his ear, firing his weapon at a consistent clip and reloading as fast as he could. You trying to go deaf there, bud? He asked. Wade wrinkled his nose. If it means I don't have to listen to this shit anymore, I'm all for it. The yacht rock blared on as Kowalski chuckled, 
drawing zombies to the riverbank. He returned to his own scope, taking aim at some corpses that emerged from behind a waterfront house. He dropped all three, but more quickly took their place. This is a full-on infestation, Kowalski said, lips twisting into a frown. I don't know how we're ever gonna get all this cleared out. It's gonna take longer than anyone wants to admit, Wade replied, especially with the limited manpower we have. His partner nodded. There's what, a couple hundred thousand of us troops left against a few hundred million zombies? Just means every one of us has to take out a thousand of these things, Wade said. Kowalski aimed and fired to accentuate his point. Well, I'm gonna do my part. His partner smiled briefly, and he aimed, but his next shot missed as the boat suddenly slowed down. What now? he asked. Kowalski rolled to the side to look at the corporal on the other boat. Hey, Bretts, what's going on? He pointed up ahead to a fork in the river. There was a small inlet in the middle, and it appeared to go up for quite a ways around the bend and out of sight. Looks like that cuts up towards the town, Brett said. What do you think? Kowalski shrugged. I think as long as we get to shoot these undead assholes, we really don't care where we go. Love the attitude, Private, Bretts replied dryly, and turned to Mason, who still stood behind the controls. You heard the man, Mason. Let's go find some more targets. The private nodded. You got it. He pushed forward, pulling in ahead of the other party boat, taking the lead in the narrow inlet. Bratz pursed his lips as he surveyed the 15 or so feet on either side of the boat between them and the shores. Kill the music, he instructed. I don't like how close we are to land, and fire only if necessary. Way did a barrel roll off of the roof and hit the music, grinning with victorious glee as blessed silence befell them. The boats moved quietly up the waterway, only the rumbling of the engines reverberating in the air. A few dozen zombies staggered around on the banks, but they were spread out thinly, and only a few dared to take steps into the water. Others wandered dumbly through the tall grass. Around the next bend, there was a clearing on the land, and Brett squinted at the visible section of the interstate. Kowalski, can you see anything? he asked. The private stood up on the roof and aimed his rifle toward the roadway. On the north side of the interstate, there was a massive horde, many of them stuck at the barrier, but some flopping over onto the south side. There's a whole mess of them on the north side of the roadway, he reported. Can our trucks get through? Bratz asked. Kowalski held out a hand flat and wiggled it back and forth. South side doesn't look too bad, but I wouldn't risk the north side. One jackknife and that whole convoy is fucked. Mason, I think we got what we came for, the corporal said. Flip us around and take us back to the main waterway. The private nodded and began a slow arc to turn around. You got it. As the party boats turned to make their way back, Brett's pulled out his walkie-talkie. Hey, Cap, come in. We've got a problem here. What you got for me? Kersey asked immediately. Whole lot of congestion on the north side of the interstate, Bretz reported. At least several hundred, but could easily be a few thousand. We have an obstructed view, so we can't say for sure. There was only a short pause before the captain replied. Can the trucks get through on the other side? Can't say for sure, but they'll have a better shot at it, Bretz replied. I'll let him know, Kersey said. Thank you. We'll be in touch if we come across anything else, the corporal promised. Be safe, 
Kersey replied, and the line went dead. Brett sighed as the boat swung back around the fork. There was only a handful of zombies on the shore, with a lot less coming out of the woodwork than had been before. All right, he said loudly. Let's get the tunes going again and you can resume firing. Wade groaned, throwing his arms up dramatically. Sorry, bud, Bretz chuckled. Next stop, the state line. Chapter 8 Herrera stood on top of the toppled tractor trailer, popping off shots straight down into the sea of zombie heads. A few troops stood beside him, including the recently demoted Gilbert, who was haphazardly firing into the ghouls and missing most headshots. I know you're pissed, Gilbert, but don't waste ammo, the corporal snapped. Gilbert wrinkled his nose but didn't say anything, simply slowing down his shots and taking more care with his aim. A few moments later, he lowered his gun and put his hand to his face with a sigh. Keep shooting, Herrera growled. Gilbert sighed even harder. In a minute, that sucker punch you gave me is stinging. The corporal scoffed and stormed over to his ex-superior, eyes flaming. Good men died because of your ego. Nothing you can do will bring them back, but you can be damn sure you're not going to sit here and whine. He pointed a finger in the flushed man's face. Now start firing. Gilbert swallowed hard and raised his gun, beginning his calculated firing again. Herrera, satisfied, headed back to his spot and looked over the horde. There were hundreds of bodies piled up in front of the truck, which was progress, but the noise had drawn thousands more. Creatures still staggered out of neighborhoods, thickening the count by the second. Keep an eye on things here. I'm going to go check the other side, he said to the soldier to his left. He motioned to Gilbert, and don't let this one give you any trouble. Yes, sir, the soldier replied with a salute and the corporal hopped down off of the back of the overturned truck onto the SUV. He slid down off of it and hit the pavement, gazing down the interstate to the west. There were faint moving dots in the distance, and pre-apocalypse he would have assumed cars, but now he knew better. He shook his head, not for the first time, at how quickly the world had gone to shit. He reached the other side of the bridge, and there were a few men on top there, picking their shots and taking them. Another SUV was wedged into the side to prevent zombies from popping through, but there was still a four-foot gap beneath the truck. The corporal knelt down and peeked under, surveying the stack of rotting flesh, creating a barrier of bodies to close the gap. There were little spots of open air, but it was better than nothing. He climbed up onto the SUV and boosted himself up onto the truck, where one of the soldiers was aiming at an approaching zombie, but not yet firing. Herrera cocked his head, but still the shot didn't come. You boys taking a break? He asked. No, sir, the soldier replied. We're waiting on it to get closer so we can add it to the pile here. We really don't have any other way to plug the hole at the moment. The corporal nodded. That's a good idea. Have you had much action? Nothing like you all have over there, the soldier said, motioning vaguely with his hand to the other side. Guess the noise from the north is pulling most of them that way. Well, we need to get a little more prepared, because when those trucks rumble by, there's a good chance they'll bring some ghouls with them, Herrera said, clapping him on the shoulder. The soldier shrugged. We're open to suggestions, Corporal. Herrera glanced down the street, 
spotting a car parked in front of a store about a block and a half away. There were a dozen or so zombies in the street between them and the vehicle, and he rubbed his chin for a moment. How good of shots are you guys, he asked. The two soldiers smirked at each other, and in unison, raised their rifles and each fired a single shot. Two zombies near the car dropped to the ground immediately. I'll take that as my answer, Herrera replied. If you'd be so kind as to cover me, I'll go see if I can steal us a car. The second soldier grinned and saluted. You're in good hands with us. The corporal threw his rifle over his back and ran to the SUV, sliding down to the pavement easily. As soon as he hit the ground, a zombie within a few feet flew backwards, head exploding all over the road. He sprinted towards the car, trusting his comrades, his footsteps echoing and attracting the attention of the nearby zombies. As he pumped his legs, shots rang out, and corpses fell left and right. As he reached the car, one of the shops close to it echoed with snarls, and a few zombies emerged from the broken display window. He quickly drew his handgun and popped off a few rounds, hitting a few of them and knocking them back into their brethren. Another that set foot on the sidewalk flew to the side, and his guardian snipers were on it. Herrera threw open the driver's side door and ducked inside the car, under the front panel and ripped the wires down. He attempted to spark it to life, but all he got was a small spark and no engine. Something crumpled next to him, and he glanced out to see a nearly headless corpse collapse just a few feet away. He tried a few more wires, but the car wouldn't come to life. Fuck, he muttered. Looks like I'm doing this the old-fashioned way. He reached out and popped the shifter into neutral, before standing up and pushing hard against the doorframe. The car took a few moments to get rolling, but soon it picked up steam. The road was flat so it didn't pick up too much momentum, but he was able to push it at a jogging pace to get it close to the truck. As he closed the distance, one of the soldiers hopped down to wave him in. He steered to the left side of the road before cutting the wheel sharply when he got the signal, and the vehicle scraped against the truck, smashing into the flesh wall. It blocked about half of the opening beneath the truck, and the duo began moving as many bodies against the car as possible to close up the hole as best they could. Well, it's not perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better than it was, Herrera said as they admired their handiwork. The soldier nodded. Agreed. A loud truck horn bleated in the distance, and they turned towards the noise to see the convoy approaching. Zombies flew left and right from their staggering positions in the middle of the road. We should get back up top, the corporal said, and waved for the soldier to follow him. They clambered back up into position as the convoy crashed through the last few zombies just before the on-ramp. As they made the turn, Johnson honked a few times, exchanging friendly waves with the soldiers. Chapter Nine Johnson trundled onto the interstate, leading the charge, and lifted his radio to his lips. Come in, Captain, he said. Our kick-ass convoy is officially on the interstate. Good to hear, Kersey replied. Just make sure you're on the south side. Bretts and his team spotted a monster horde on the north side of the road near Post Falls. Appreciate the heads up, Johnson replied. We'll cross over at the next exit. Let me know when you get to the bridge, the captain instructed. The field corporal nodded. 10-4. 
he picked up the CB radio in the truck. Attention, convoy, we're making a slight detour in. He surveyed the road signs until he found what he was looking for. Half a mile, we will be crossing over the bridge and hitting the other side of the interstate. Looks like we get to pretend to be British today, boys. What's with the change? Baker's voice came through. Apparently, there's a whole mess of them fuckers on the right side of the road, Johnson explained. Baker sighed audibly through the radio. So much for this being easy. The soldier in the passenger seat snorted, and Johnson shrugged at him with a smile that said, hey, what can you do? He hung up the radio and wrapped both of his hands around the wheel to focus on driving. The interstate was fairly clear, but he wanted to keep on alert to make sure that he wouldn't miss anything jumping out onto the road at them. He stayed well under the speed limit just in case, and it allowed them to weave around some of the broken down or abandoned cars still dotting the landscape. Ten minutes later, after they'd switched sides of the highway, he caught sight of the horde. Thousands of zombies clogged the roadway, staggering and writhing together in a rotted mass. Every so often, a few would tumble over the barrier into the south side lanes, but the majority were on the north side, as promised. As they passed the creatures, Johnson smashed the horn, letting it howl in long bursts, hoping to attract every zombie they could. The convoy of creatures stretched for at least half a mile, packed in tighter than a midsummer music festival. On the other side of them lay the town of Post Falls, and even more corpses staggered out from the neighborhoods and shopping centers to join their undead brethren on their pilgrimage down the interstate. As he passed the state line one mile sign, Johnson picked up his CB radio once again. Let's get sharp, everyone, he said. There should be an emergency crossover coming up in a half mile or so. The first three trucks behind me will cross over. The other four stay on this side. Two trucks on each side of the bridge. Resistance should be light on the Washington side of things. So after getting the trucks in position, one man on either side is to stay behind to keep watch while the rest are on bridge cleanup duty. Those on this side are to get in position quickly because we have a whole mess of trouble headed our way. Everybody clear? The radio jumbled up with a collection of, yes, sir, and Johnson smiled. Then let's do it, he declared, and hung up the radio. As he reached the emergency crossover, he led the three other trucks across before turning to the bridge. He cut over and glanced towards the massive horde. We're gonna be cutting this close, he muttered. Hang on, he instructed and punched the gas. Yes, sir. The soldier in the passenger seat reached up and took hold of the handle above his window. They sped towards the bridge a little faster than Johnson would otherwise be comfortable with, but desperate times. There were a handful of cars on the bridge and about 30 zombies scattered about. He easily plowed through a few of them standing in the open roadway and ignored the rest. When he reached the far end, he quickly parked diagonally across the road reaching from the center line to the stone railing on the bridge. His passenger hopped out and rolled under the truck to the driver's side as Johnson jumped down from his seat. The next truck parked across the other side, and the soldiers leapt out to join them. Several zombies lumbered towards them, and two of the soldiers aimed and quickly took them down. Johnson pointed to his passenger. You stay here and monitor things. Stay on comm channel six. I'll check in with you every 10 minutes or so. Yes, sir, the soldier replied, before turning to clamber up the truck to perch on top of it. Come on, let's clear us a path, Johnson continued, 
motioning to the two soldiers from the other truck. Just watch your downrange fire. I don't want to listen to Baker one if we accidentally send a shot in his direction. His team chuckled and nodded, guns at the ready. There was a cluster of zombies around a car in the middle of the road, and they quickly dispatched them as they approached, dropping the bodies in heaps around the vehicle. Johnson headed up and peered inside the driver's side window, recoiling as a corpse lunged into the glass, teeth gnashing against it. He raised his rifle and fired a single round through the glass and into its head. He glanced about 20 yards up to another car and pointed. You two go check that one out, he instructed. See if you can get it running. We're gonna need some extra protection against that flood. They scampered off as he opened the door and dragged the corpse from its seat. He dropped it gracelessly on the ground and slid into the slimy seat, finding the key still in the ignition. Tell me I can't be this lucky, he muttered, and took a deep breath as he turned the key. The engine roared to life, and he blinked a few times in shock. Well, that's once this week. He grinned and put the car into gear, doing a three-point turn to head down the road. He drove up beside the other two, who were still trying to get the other car started up. Any luck? he asked. It's deader than this motherfucker, one soldier said, and kicked the zombie at his feet for effect. There's a couple more up the road, though. Maybe we'll have better luck with them. We're gonna need them all, Johnson declared. Pop that bitch into neutral and start pushing. I'll take care of the rest of the moving obstacles. Yes, sir, they replied in unison, not sounding too thrilled, but knowing they needed to get to work. Johnson drove off towards the next batch of zombies shambling about and rolled down his window. Drive by, bitch, he screamed and hit the brake before aiming and taking out every one of them with a well-placed headshot. Four ghouls in the middle of the road ahead walked in a pack, and rather than do another shooting, he hit the gas and plowed right through them. The impact sent one of the corpses flying right off of the bridge, and the other three smacked hard onto the pavement leaving slick gore on the road. Johnson waited a moment for movement, but there was none. With the road clear, he drove up to the leftmost truck, parking the car at the far end of the trailer to block about half of the gap. As he got out, he glanced back over his shoulder and noted the soldiers moving at a pretty good pace, pushing the next car towards their barricade. The other four men from the trucks were on top of the trailers, but none of them had started firing. Baker popped his head over the side. There you are, he said with a grin. How's it look on the other side? Johnson shrugged. Pretty quiet. That's a fucking relief, because that ain't the case over here, Baker said, shaking his head. How long we got? Johnson asked. His friend wrinkled his nose in thought. Maybe 20 minutes before they're within safe firing range? 25 before I'm going to start getting worried. You keep watch, make sure that timeline stays accurate, Johnson said, and pointed to the two troops next to him. You two on me, we gotta get these cars into position. They hopped down quickly and moved with him back towards the vehicles. Fifteen minutes later, Johnson and Baker stood atop the truck, looking out towards the horde that was headed their way. It seemed to be growing in both length and width and the timeline seemed accurate, that they were about five minutes away from being within firing range. Baker swallowed, crossing his arms. How many you think are there? He asked. Easily into the thousands, Johnson replied honestly. 
Quite possibly over 10,000. Regardless, it's a shitload. Good thing we have enough ammo to conquer a mid-sized city, Baker replied brightly. His friend nodded. Looks like we're gonna need every last one of them, too. He glanced over to Curtis, one of the drone geeks, who set down a silver case and unclipped it. Quite the machine you've got there, Johnson said as he approached and glanced over the drone. What do you think you can do with it that'll help me out? I can get you a full view of the battlefield, keep track of how far back that zombie horde goes, watch over our rear. Curtis trailed off as they suddenly heard some loud, easy listening music echoing in the distance over the moans and snarls of the zombies. And investigate anything else that might pique our interest, he added, brow furrowing in confusion. How soon can you get that thing in the air? Johnson asked. Curtis held up a finger. Just need a minute. Johnson stepped back and watched as the guy slammed a battery pack into his drone and put it through a few checks before flipping it on. The whir of the blades was quite loud, but as it ascended into the sky, it grew quieter. Curtis moved towards Johnson and held up the controls with the monitor so they could both look. Start scanning around, see what you can see, Johnson instructed. Curtis did a sweep of the area, starting on the horde that was getting closer and closer. When the river came into view, they noticed two party boats on the water. That music has gotta be coming from Brett's, Johnson mused. Can you get over there for a closer look? Curtis nodded and moved the drone into position over the river, lowering it to about 50 feet. He kept cautious of trees and power lines and lowered to get a good view of the boats. There looked to be only one person on the roof. I would have thought those boys would have been firing, Johnson said, squinting. Can you zoom in a little bit more? The camera zoomed in on the person, and as it got closer, there was Kowalski, alone and shirtless on the roof of the boat. He slathered a giant glop of sunscreen on his chest and rubbed it into his nipples with excessive circles of his palms. After biting his lip in apparent pleasure, he looked up at the drone and pretended to cover up like he'd been surprised at being watched. Well, Johnson said distastefully, I could have went my whole life without seeing that. Kowalski grinned and waved at the drone, giving it a thumbs up. The corporal shook his head. Seems like they're good to go. He leaned away from the screen. Go ahead and start doing a sweep of the rear. If you see any groups larger than 20, you come get me immediately. Curtis nodded. You'll be the first to know. Johnson headed back towards Baker as his pilot sat down to concentrate on his sweeps. He pulled out his walkie-talkie. Hey, Cap, you read me? This is Johnson, he said. You make it to the bridge? Kersey replied immediately. Johnson nodded. Yeah, we're set up and got a whole lot of attention headed our way. Give me a second, I'll pull up the video on my end, the captain replied. After a moment, Curtis put his controller in his lap as David took control of his drone. Yeah, I'd say you boys are in for quite the afternoon and evening, Kersey finally said. Johnson chuckled. I do believe that's what they call an understatement there, Captain. No shit, Baker added, crossing his arms. We're making good progress in Hayden, so hopefully it won't be too long after nightfall before we reach you, Kersey replied. Well, we ain't going anywhere, Johnson replied. Give me a status update in an hour, the captain instructed. 
the corporal said. Johnson out. He clipped his walkie-talkie to his belt and readied his weapon, turning back to Baker. Well, you ready to do this? Baker took a deep breath. Ready as I'll ever be. All right, boys, Johnson yelled and aimed at the stampede of zombies. Let's start popping some heads. Chapter 10 Kersey was so engrossed in the action happening on the monitors that he didn't notice David had even left until he came back with a tray of coffee cups. Figured everyone could use a little pick-me-up, he announced. The captain stood up straight and took a mug gratefully with a smile. Thanks, this is great. He took a deep breath of the brew, inhaling the scent happily. This assault has been going a lot better than I expected it to. Still get the sense we're in for a long night, David replied, passing out the cups to his team. There were a lot of thank yous and happy moans as the delicious coffee was consumed. So how are we looking out there? Kersey asked, inclining his head to David's station. He cracked his knuckles and picked up a mug for himself, heading off to his seat. Let's find out, he said. Boys, if you wouldn't mind transferring the stats over to my screen. The three soldiers nodded and clicked away on their keyboards, sending info off to sync with his computer. Okay, Captain, David murmured as he typed on his own keyboard. The West Side teams are within a couple blocks of the bridge, he said, so they should be able to start pushing west towards Post Falls within the hour. Kersey cocked his head. We ever find a rally point for them? David typed for a few moments and then stared at some data, tapping his chin with his finger. Oh, sorry, sir, one of the soldiers piped up. Look on page four of the scouting doc. David shot him a thumbs up. Thanks. He pulled up a map of Post Falls with a circle around a golf course on the far east side and another building several blocks away that also had a circle around it. The golf course looks like the best rally point, David said. Lots of open space so nothing can sneak up on them. From there, they'll be able to regroup and condense teams before pushing to the high school in the northwest. The captain leaned forward. How far away is the school? Half a mile at the most, David replied. A few rows of houses between the two locations, but with that size of a force, it won't be a big deal. Kersey nodded. And how are the east side teams progressing? Little bit slower due to the density, David replied, pointing to the screen. They're still about eight blocks away from the bridge. They're going to need to pick up the pace if they're going to make it to the waterfront by dusk, the captain said, pursing his lips for a moment. When they get parallel with the bridge, break off a couple of tandems and send them over to the bridge to help them clean up that mess. That should free up another team to help with the river push. We'll make it happen, David agreed with a nod. Kersey took another sip of coffee. What's the casualty report looking like? David opened up a new document, scanning through the numbers. Minimal, but not insignificant, he reported. Eastside teams are reporting 15 dead or bitten, and eight more with non-bite-related injuries. West is a little bit worse, with 35 dead or bitten, and another 20 with non-bite injuries. Kersey furrowed his brow. That's a hell of a discrepancy there. One of the 10-man teams was clearing a mid-sized store built into an old building. David explained. One of the storerooms was apparently used to house the bitten, and they got overrun. The captain nodded thoughtfully, taking a deep breath, and then another long sip of coffee. 
His chest clenched a bit at the loss of his men, but he knew that this wasn't the time for dwelling or mourning. Okay, he said finally. Send out the orders and keep monitoring the situation. Let me know of any significant developments. There was a chorus of, yes, sir, and the quartet turned away to hammer at their keyboards. The captain leaned against the table behind him, taking another thoughtful sip of coffee. He hoped beyond hope that he'd already received the worst news of the day. Chapter 11 The party boats moved quietly up the river, with the engines running on low to draw as little attention to them as possible. I'm guessing that's not the airport we're supposed to rally at, Mason asked, inclining his head to the southern airport in the heart of Spokane. No, Bretz confirmed. And it's a good thing, too. We'd be pretty much surrounded on all sides if we were in there. Wouldn't be a good situation. The sharpshooters had remained on the roofs, using their scopes to scout the area as they moved. There were zombies everywhere. Some wandered alone, others in groups of five or so, and occasionally a mini horde in the 30s or 40s. Kowalski sighed. We're gonna need a hell of a lot more men if we're gonna clear this place out, and we haven't even gotten to the main part of the city yet. Pretty sure we have another mile to go before we hit it, Wade replied. Kowalski shook his head. Urban sprawl, man, he drawled. Great for when you want half a dozen supermarts within five minutes of you. Not so great for the zombie apocalypse. Could be worse, though, Wade said brightly. His companion raised an eyebrow. How? Wade grinned. We could be walking this. Kowalski chuckled and looked through his scope again, not even dignifying that with an answer. He definitely preferred the party boat life, even during Wade's continuous whining about the yacht rock. Twenty minutes went by of the same never-ending zombie sea, leaving absolutely nothing untouched in their wake. How many troops were following you guys up? Kowalski asked as he scanned the cityscape. Wade took a deep breath. Rumor had it that there was a thousand, with a couple APCs and an Apache guardian. Oh, great, a thousand, Kowalski replied, rolling his eyes. Next, they'll hand us some buckets and tell us to go drain the Pacific Ocean. His companion clucked his tongue. You always so negative? Sorry, the sniper replied with a pout. Just haven't shot anything in literally hours, and it's driving me a little crazy. Wade inclined his head towards the front of the boat. If I had to guess, you aren't going to have to wait long. They were approaching the heart of Spokane. The soldiers stared to the north, at a sea of big box shopping stores, small office buildings, and a college campus. To the south was the downtown core, filled with mid-rise buildings about 20 to 30 stories tall. Kowalski's eyes lit up like a kid at Christmas. Man, just look at all those sniper positions, he said with glee. We can have some fun up there, can't we? I do believe we can, sir, Wade replied with a grin. As they came around the bend, Mason gaped at the sight before them. What in the hell is that? There was an island right in the center of the water, with several bridges connecting to it, like an urban spider. That is the riverfront park, the soldier above him, Hansen, replied. There's a pavilion there that was the central attraction to the 1974 World's Fair. Bird barked a laugh and hung his head over the side. You'll have to excuse Hansen here. He's old and for some reason knows useless shit like this. Don't knock being educated, 
Hansen sniffed. Not knocking it at all, Bird replied. Just pointed out that you're probably old enough to have been at that event, which is why you've had time to learn all this useless stuff. Hansen shook his head. Given its central location and natural protection from the river, it might be a good place to deposit some troops, provided we can do something about the bridges. Good point, Bretz agreed. I'll add it to the report. Uh, Bretz, Kowalski said, peering through his scope. We might have an issue. The corporal turned to him. What you got? Those bridges are filled with zombies, and the guardrails do not look very high, the sniper replied. Okay, look sharp, Brett said loudly, and the soldiers went on high alert as the boats approached the island. It was fairly large, with half a dozen bridges jetting out, three on each side of the river. Some of the zombies caught sight of the boats and moaned and snarled, pressing against the railings in excitement. Before long, one of them toppled and splashed into the river about 30 yards ahead of the boats. The snipers immediately slid down from their rooftop perches to scamper underneath the shelter. Y'all might want to speed up a bit, Kowalski suggested. Both drivers increased their speed, hoping to nip under the bridge as quick as possible. Several more zombies splashed down as they reached it, but one landed on the deck in front of Kowalski and Wade. Its legs shattered with the impact, bones sticking up out of rotting flesh. Despite its condition, the ghoul managed to get up and stagger towards the snipers. Kowalski drew a handgun and fired a single round through its head. He peered out to take a peek at the second bridge. We're good on this one, Bretz, he reported. It's better designed with proper safety rails. What about the last one? The corporal asked. Kowalski looked through his scope and made a dismayed noise at the state of it. There's almost no railing. What the hell happened? Bretz demanded. Fuck if I know, the sniper replied. Construction, car bomb, does it really fucking matter? Zombies splashed into the water like kids doing a belly flop contest, falling in front of them in a waterfall of rotted flesh. All of the sharpshooters took aim, and Kowalski cocked his head to the corporal. Are we shooting or what? He asked. Brett sighed. I know we're here, he said. Go for it. The staccato cracks of bullets ripped through the air, hitting the zombies clustered on the busted bridge. One after another, each followed by a splash as the unmoving corpses fell into the river. Bretts kept a close eye as the area came closer into view, and when they were within 20 yards, he held up a hand. Full throttle, he cried, and the helmsman hit the gas. The party boat surged forward, moving just quick enough under the hole that the snipers had made in the cluster of zombies that they managed not to pick up any extra passengers. Zombies rained down around them, splashing into the water on all sides. As they cleared the waterfall of corpses unscathed, there was no time to cheer before they heard a gunshot in the distance. Where did that come from? Bretz asked immediately, and they all strained their ears. Soon enough, another shot rang out, and Bird pointed. Definitely south of the river, he said. Hansen nodded. A little further up, too. Kowalski clambered back up onto the roof and used his scope to scan the buildings. As he swept the windows, he spotted a mid-rise apartment about 10 stories tall, about three blocks from the water. On the roof, there were a handful of people waving their arms, hanging bedsheets off of the side to try to get their attention. I got him, 
he said. Survivors, brown building with the red trim, three blocks up. The rest of the shooters looked through their scopes to take a look, but Bratz shook his head. There's not a lot we can do for them right now, he said. Kowalski pursed his lips and thought for a moment, before sliding down from the roof and rushing over to the console. He looked around for a CB radio-type microphone that hung next to the CD player. He found a switch and picked up the mouthpiece, pressing the button. Test, test, he said, and his voice reverberated so loudly they all recoiled from the noise. He pressed it again, ready this time. You in the high-rise apartment building, we see you. Help is on the way. Do not attempt to reach us. We will come to you when we can. One shot for yes, if you understand. There was a moment, and then a single gunshot rang out. Ask them if there's room to land a chopper up there, Brett said. Kowalski nodded. Is there room to land a helicopter on the roof? He asked, voice booming through the speakers. One shot for yes, two shots for no. There was another moment of silence, and then a single shot. Brett smiled. Looks like you boys just might have a sniper's nest after all. Stay safe, Kowalski said through the radio. We will be with you soon. He hung up the radio and turned it off, and a moment later, another shot echoed. Bird shrugged. Well, that was a nice little surprise. I mean, you had to figure there would be some survivors, right? Mason asked with a grin. In a city this size, almost two weeks into this thing? Bird shuddered. Can't be good odds on that. Brett straightened his shoulders. Well, we'll find out as soon as we find a helicopter. In the meantime, we've got a lot more scouting to do. How much further we got? Kowalski asked. The corporal waved a hand vaguely forward. Should be a couple more miles on the river until we dock, then just a short three-mile hike to the airport. Oh, is that all? Kowalski rolled his eyes, and the group shared chuckles at the long day still ahead of them. Chapter 12 Yes, sir, I will pass that information along. One of the soldiers said into his headset, and turned around to wave Kersey over. Please stand by for further instructions. The captain approached, leaving David to type away on his machine, while keeping an eye on the afternoon developments. What do you have for me? He asked. The soldier raised his chin. Sir, the final West Side team has reached the golf course. They have formed a perimeter on the West Side and are awaiting further instructions. Thank you, Kersey replied and headed back over to David. Can you pull up their drone? He hammered away at the keyboard for a moment, and then the image showed up on screen. It was hovering above the golf course, looking out over the town. Where do you want me to go with it? David asked. Head up towards the high school, and see what kind of resistance we're dealing with, Kersey replied. Just don't move it any closer to the city. Last thing we want is to draw any zombies to us. Understood, his companion replied. This thing has good magnification, so if you see something, we can zoom in. The captain nodded and squinted at the screen as David strafed the town. He paused briefly on each road, giving them both a chance to look down it carefully. The first few were pretty bare, with only a handful of zombies roaming around aimlessly. The third road, however, had a strange black mass at the far end. Zoom in on that, Kersey instructed, and took a deep breath at the huge cluster of zombies. That could be trouble. Looks to be in the high hundreds, 
Any idea how far down they are? David jotted a few numbers down on a pad, and then did some quick calculations on the paper. Based on the altitude and magnification, I'd say six, maybe seven blocks. Okay, that could be worse, Kersey replied, shaking his head with worry. Keep moving up towards the school. The drone moved, scanning the rest of the area as they went, finding nothing too worrisome. Finally, the school came into view, a large two-story building with an attached gym and several ball fields. There were a few dozen zombies creeping about, not grouped together very well and without much direction. That doesn't look too bad, now does it? David asked. Kersey shook his head. Definitely seen worse, he said. Can you zoom in on the doors? The drone moved a little closer to the school, and the camera zoomed in on the double doors facing them. They were shut and looked intact. If anything's in there, they didn't go through here, David mused. He scanned the side of the building, not finding any broken windows or other forced entry, dead or alive. Looks like this place is shut up tight, at least from this angle. Looks like the fencing is still mostly up as well on the fields. Should be able to defend it pretty easily, even if that horde comes up. Agreed, Kersey replied with a nod. He checked his watch. We have, what, an hour and a half, maybe two hours of usable light left? David shrugged. If we're lucky. Okay, let's get the golf teams up to the school, the captain said. They need to fortify it for the night. I'll let them know right now, one of the soldiers replied, and began speaking into his headset. Kersey turned back to David. How are the East teams doing? They're pushing south of the bridge, and they should be at the water by nightfall, he replied. There's still a lot of resistance at the bridge, but it's more of a cleanup job than an actual threat. Good, the captain said. Once they're freed up, they need to push south as well. He checked the map, tapping his chin. Have the teams clear out to the water, then hold at the 95 bridge that crosses the river. The majority of the stragglers will come down the main road and should be easy enough to pick off, assuming they have night vision. Yes, sir, we were all issued goggles before the mission. One of the soldiers piped up. Perfect, Kersey replied. Can you pull up the state line video feed? David typed for a moment, and then the feed popped up on his center screen. The drone stared straight down the interstate towards Post Falls, positioned just behind the troops on the trucks. There was a sea of dead bodies on the road, thousands more lined up behind them. The corpses attempted to clamber over top, but flew backwards as they were shot down quickly. The closest moving ghouls were about 40 yards from the trucks, and both of the viewers drew in a sharp breath at the same time. Jesus, David breathed, hands freezing from their typing frenzy. Kersey nodded. Yeah, that is quite the killing spree there. Never been happier in my life to be a tech guy, his companion declared, running his hands through his hair. Why's that? The captain asked, cocking his head. David grinned. Because there is an extremely low chance I'm going to be put on cleanup duty. Kersey chuckled. Funny, I just had that same thought about being a captain. Chapter 13 Kowalski, Wade, Bird, tell me what you see, Brett said, as the seven-man crew reached the lightly wooded area just before the runway at the west side of the airport. They all crouched and the trio pulled out their rifles to scope out the landscape. 
I got a handful on one runway, Berg reported. Probably a couple hundred yards out and spread out. Wade added, same here on my runway, nothing of consequence. Got a couple hanging out by a closed hangar door, and a few more closer to the terminal, Kowalski said. Bratz pursed his lips for a moment. So no hordes? There was a quiet chorus in the negative, and the men lowered their guns. Okay, we're going to move up to the far end of the terminal, the corporal instructed. Kill silently, so we don't attract attention. This terminal isn't that big, so any noise out here will draw them to us. His team nodded, and he led them out of the brush onto the runway. They walked at a brisk pace, but stayed as silent as they could, moving lightly. As a zombie turned towards them, one of the men darted forward and hacked its head off with a machete, barely breaking stride. Mason, Fleming, and Hansen moved up, and each stabbed a corpse in a trio of them loitering outside of the hangar door. Kowalski ducked beneath Hansen's arm and attempted to open the door, but it was locked. So much for doing some aircraft shopping, he muttered. Pretz waved at him. Come on, let's get to the terminal. They moved down the wall and around the corner and found an emergency exit that was dangling open. Brett stepped inside and held up a fist, readying his rifle with one hand, before quietly moving the door out of the way and moving inside. He stepped to the right quickly so everyone could file in. The seven of them stood and stared blankly at the massacre for a moment, horror evident on their faces. There was blood everywhere, splattered all over the walls, detached limbs sticking out of chairs. Several corpses lay next to bloodied luggage, their heads crushed in. The lights from the skylights kept the carnage brightly lit, shining off of the crimson coagulated to the side of the baggage claim. What the fuck happened here? Kowalski finally broke the silence. Hansen swallowed hard. This probably would have been one of the first places the outbreak hit, he said. Those fast fuckers would have made quick work of people. Happiest day of my life was when we figured out they were breaking down and becoming shamblers, Kowalski said, letting out a long whoosh of breath. Mason raised an eyebrow. Anybody ever told you that you've led a sad life? Enough with the chatter, Brett said. Let's get this thing cleared. The group immediately locked into the zone and spread out in a fan across the large center aisle that cut straight across to the airport. As they moved at a steady pace, Assault rifles raised and ready, zombies emerged, attracted to the footfalls. They staggered out of shops, bathrooms, out from around corners and hallways. One by one, the troops fired, precise, well-aimed shots to the forehead that dropped every creature that dared to pop its head out. As they reached the center of the airport, Bird stopped to inspect the TSA checkpoint. Looks like this shit is sealed up tight. Kowalski, see what's on the other side there, Brett said. The sniper in question broke the line and headed over to one of the inspection tables that was right up against the hard plastic barrier. He hopped up and cautiously looked over, miraculously seeing no signs of zombies or blood. It's clear, he reported. Good, hopefully the zombies are just contained to this side of the gate, Brett said. Kowalski shook his head. No, you don't get it he said. It's completely clear. No zombies, no bodies, no blood. It's like it's completely immune to the shit show on this side. What are you thinking? The corporal asked. 
Kowalski shrugged. Hell if I know, but it's definitely out of place. Take Wade and go check it out, Brett said. Wade moved and joined Kowalski in hopping the barrier. They landed on the thin carpet on the other side with their weapons raised. They worked their way out of the TSA line area and headed to the front entrance. The door handles were chained from the inside, with various pieces of furniture stacked in front of them. In some spots, the metal security doors had been rolled down. We might not be alone here, Wade hissed. You sure as hell ain't, a voice boomed from behind them. Now turn around slowly. Both soldiers raised their hands and complied, turning towards a Chinese restaurant counter. There was a middle-aged man with a younger woman next to him, both wearing security guard uniforms, pointing revolvers at them. I don't know what y'all are doing here, the man said, and narrowed his eyes. But we ain't got food to spare, and you better think twice before trying to take what we got. Kowalski held out a palm. Relax, man, we ain't here to hurt you. We're from the military. Uh-huh, the man replied, sarcasm evident in his tone. Sure you are. That shit may work on other dumbasses, but that ain't gonna fool me. The sniper nodded. Hey, I understand. Can't be too careful these days. But we're from the military, and we're here to help. He offered a smile, and then gunshots echoed through the airport from the terminal side. See, those are our friends clearing out the rest of the terminal. There's a whole mess of troops just to the east of town preparing to come in and clear out Spokane. We're going to be using this airport as a base, and frankly, we could use some help, or at the very least, not be shot. The dark-skinned man looked at his shorter companion, and they shared a nod before holstering their weapons. Sorry about holding y'all at gunpoint, he said with a sigh. There's some bad people out there, and I'd rather not take any chances. Hey, we understand, really, Wade replied, relaxing his arms. Not the first time we've had guns pointed at us, and damn sure not gonna be the last. Thank you for understanding, the man said. I'm Thomas, and this here is Ada. We got a few more in the back, too. I'm Kowalski, and this is Wade, the taller sniper replied, motioning between them. What the hell happened here? How did you survive that massacre? Ada stepped out from behind the counter. When the attack started, someone at the TSA was smart enough to actually do their job and hit the emergency button, she explained. It sealed off that portion of the airport. We had some trouble on this side, but we were able to subdue it before it got too bad. A lot of people fled, but some of us knew better, Thomas added. So we fortified this place up as best we could and decided to sit tight and see if it blew over. Well, it sure as shit didn't blow over, Kowalski said scratching the back of his head. But you lasted long enough for the cavalry to arrive. Thomas nodded. In times like these, I'll take what I can get. So how many you got back there? Wade asked. Ada motioned over her shoulder. There's about 10 of us. Most of them are passengers who decided to stay put. And Benny, Thomas sighed. Ada looked at the ceiling for a moment and then pursed her lips. Yeah. And Benny. Kowalski raised an eyebrow. Who is Benny? He's one of the resident pilots here, she said. And he's a bit on the cranky side most of the time. He's harmless enough, Thomas added. Just not exactly the type of person you'd like to be confined to tight quarters with for weeks on end if you get my drift. 
After sharing a glance with his partner, Wade asked, what kind of pilot? Helicopter, Thomas replied. He ran a sightseeing tour company here at the airport. Kowalski's eyes lit up. We need to see him right now. What for? Thomas furrowed his brow. The sniper grinned. Because we have an errand to run. Chapter 14 Kersey looked out the window staring at the golden hues of the sun as it vanished over the western horizon. After a long day of death and destruction, tactics and play, he let his brain shut down, just for a moment. It was short-lived, however, as David approached. I have a status report for you. The captain sighed, not looking away from the window. You should take a moment and appreciate the view. Never know how many more we got. David didn't answer, but approached the window staring out at the sunset next to his apocalypse companion. As the clouds began to glow crimson, Kersey crossed his arms and took a deep breath. So, what's the story? He asked. David turned to him. Our west side teams were able to get to the school and fortify it. Casualties? Kersey asked. His companion smiled. None, actually, and they found a few survivors inside. Unexpected, but I'll take it the captain said. How are they? They're a little on the malnourished side, but otherwise healthy and in good spirits, David reported. Kersey chuckled. Well, they have a few hundred heavily armed men defending them now. I'd hope they're in good spirits. I know I would be, David replied. The captain leaned against the window. What about our east side teams? Cleared and secured everything to the waterfront and over to the bridge you specified, came the reply. Good, Kersey said with a nod. Send down the order to hold tight and get some rest. Make sure there are guards on watch at all times, just in case they have some unwanted visitors. Same goes for the west side teams. They need to be well rested for tomorrow, because it's going to make today look like a practice round. I'll send that out right now, David replied. Kersey held up a hand. Before you do, can you please get Corporal Herrera on the line for me? He asked. You got it. David headed off, leaving the captain for a moment to enjoy the last flickers of the sunset, extinguishing for the day. He returned and held out a headset. Got Corporal Herrera for you. Thank you, Kersey replied, and slid the unit onto his head. Herrera, how's it going out there? We're good, sir, the corporal replied. Traded one bridge for another, but this one is a whole lot quieter. Kersey nodded. If anybody has earned some quiet time, I'm pretty sure it's you. Thank you, sir, Herrera said. The captain wrinkled his nose. Is Gilbert behaving? For the most part, the corporal said. He's had a few bouts of pouting, but I've snapped him back into it real quick. Glad you got him under control, Kersey replied. But soldier, I'm going to ask you a blunt question. Do you want me to replace him in your unit? There was a moment of silence, and then Herrera said, no, sir, I'm gonna make sure this motherfucker earns the lives he stole today. Okay, the captain agreed. If you change your mind, you just let me know, and I'll promote him to head scout and send him into the heart of Spokane. The corporal made a small noise of amusement. Appreciate that, sir. Well, you boys get some rest, Kersey said. Tomorrow is gonna be a long day. Yes, sir. 
Herrera replied, and then the line went dead. Kersey removed the headset, but David held up a hand from his station. Captain, he said, I have Corporal Bretts on the line for you. The captain put the headset back on with a nod. Patch him through. Okay, you're on, David replied. How's that airport looking, Corporal? Kersey asked. It's clear and secure, Bretts reported. But something else has come up. Chapter 15 Brett stood on top of the apartment building they'd spotted earlier, flanked by Kowalski and Benny the pilot. Several civilian survivors dotted the roof, having come up from the units to greet their rescuers. He held his radio to his lips. When going upriver, we located some survivors in an apartment high-rise, he explained to the captain. We found more survivors at the airport, including a helicopter pilot who was nice enough to give us a ride over here. How many survivors are we talking about? Kersey asked. 10 at the airport, Bretz replied, and another 40 or so at the apartment complex. Kowalski finished speaking with a few of the civilians and walked over, holding out his hand for the radio. Hang on, I'm putting Kowalski on, Bretz said. Hey, Captain, the sniper greeted. This building is going to be perfect to house some sharpshooters. We got a good view of the city and can pick a ton of those dead fuckers off. The next train is just arriving, Kersey replied. So I'll pull some shooters from it and get them ready to move to your location. Assuming, of course, the pilot doesn't mind flying at night. Benny threw up his arms, face growing red. Bitch, I flew a NAM under constant fire from those Viet fucking Kong. Bullets ricocheting off of my windshield, dodging RP fucking G's and God only knows what else. He crossed his arms with a huff. After that, you think I'm afraid of a little goddamn darkness? Kowalski and Bretz blinked at him for a moment. The sniper pushed the button on the radio. He says he's fine with it. Good, Kersey replied. You boys head back here, and we'll get a team ready to send back with you. That's not all, Captain, Kowalski said. Some of the survivors here said that there are more in the neighboring building, but they've been out of food for several days now. The whole tower is infested, so they can't get to other apartments. We might need to get them out sooner rather than later. The captain paused and then came back. Might be a tall order, Kowalski. Captain, that building does have a better view of the waterfront, the sniper replied. Kersey sighed. Okay. I'll see what I can do. In the meantime, tell the civilians to hang tight, and we'll get them moved to the airport on the next trip. Then you boys get back here ASAP. Yes, sir, Kowalski said, and handed Bretz back the radio with a grin. Chapter 16 Kersey stared down at the train below the window, soldiers pouring out and unloading crates and supplies. David, keep an eye on things while I go greet our new troops, he said. Things are pretty quiet, David replied. But if anything comes up, I'll come get you. Appreciate it, Kersey said, and then headed out of the command center. He made his way downstairs and outside, approaching the train. A large, bald man with dark, linebacker shoulders barked out orders, towering over many of the troops that hopped to as soon as he so much as glanced in their general direction. I assume you're in charge of this motley crew, the captain asked. Yes, sir, the man replied with a firm salute. They were motley when they got to me, but I've molded them into a well-oiled machine. That's good to hear, 
Kersey replied. I'm Captain Kersey. Sergeant Copeland, the man said. Ready to do what needs to be done, sir. Kersey nodded. I'm going to need snipers. Forty or so ought to do it. Yes, sir, Copeland replied. They'll be in a staging area outside your command center in ten minutes. Make it twenty, the captain said. I have a more pressing issue. The sergeant raised an eyebrow. What do you need, sir? I have some civilians in a high-rise that need our help, and you can't wait for us to clear the city to get to them, Kersey explained. I need an incursion team that can work at night and get the job done. Copeland pursed his lips and straightened his shoulders. With your permission, sir, I'd like my team to take that task. We ran over 150 missions with those parameters over in the sandbox. None of the other men here even come close to that level of experience. Copeland, I'm going to level with you. Kersey took a deep breath. I put another sergeant in the field this morning, and he decided that trying to get a promotion was more important than following orders. He got several men killed as a result. The sergeant narrowed his eyes. Permission to speak freely, sir? Granted, Kersey waved a hand. Copeland's eyes blazed. He sounds like a motherfucker who got promoted because of who his daddy is, and not because of his ability to do the job, he said, voice level and low. You don't have to worry about that with me, sir. I'm just fine being a sergeant who gets to go out and kick ass on a daily basis. The captain smiled, and then reached up to clap his new subordinate on the shoulder. Assemble your team, sergeant. Your ride is here in 30. End of book 11. Coming up next, the Battle of Spokane. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.